the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 7. And today we want to put emphasis and shine our spotlight on verses 13 and 14. Verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7 of the gospel according to Matthew. The text reads, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. This afternoon I want to talk with you for a few moments from the thought, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Once again, we set a context for this passage in realizing that the author of this particular book of the Bible The author is Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector turned disciple of Jesus Christ. And God uniquely used him to write one of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But his Gospel is unique in that it is part of a trilogy, if you will, of Gospels called the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These Synoptic Gospels tell pretty much the same stories, but from a different perspective. Amen. And so Matthew, being a Jew, amen, he's writing to the Jews to inform them that Jesus is the king. The king of kings and the lord of lords that they have been looking for, the king of Salem that was a type of Melchizedek has come. He is on the scene and has been on the scene, amen, and has died, been buried, and rose from the grave. He is the one that the Old Testament prophets talked of, of the temple that would be torn down and rebuilt in three days. He's writing to them to let them know that the king has come. And he's writing this gospel to allow them to see the mind of the king. In our series of lessons on the mind, the making, and the ministry of Jesus Christ, we have spent several months with emphasis on a particular passage that starts in chapters 5 and ends in chapter 7. Chapter 5, 6, and 7 comprises the Sermon on the Mount. It starts with the Beatitudes and it gives us a a preview of what the mindset should be of those who want to be in the kingdom of God. 
So Jesus Christ in his immaculate sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, consisting of chapters 5, 6, and 7, so eloquently outlays what it means to be a kingdom citizen. Jesus lets us know in chapter 5, verse 20, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. But we must slow down enough to realize that the readers or the hearers of that sermon did not have the gospel that we have today. They did not have the full picture like we have today. They didn't understand the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees the way we do because at that time they were living amongst them as rule. But it's interesting enough here that Jesus sets point a threshold. He sets a standard that they must exceed in order to enter the kingdom of God. Imagine and take yourself back to the first century. You're living in the Judean areas and maybe you're even mixed up in the Samaritan world and and you have found your way to Jerusalem. You found your way into Judea and you've heard about this man whom many believe to be the Messiah. And on this hill you find out that he's going to be preaching today. And so you hear and you say, what day is it and where will he be? Because I want to hear what he has to say. You are limited in your knowledge because you do not have the knowledge that the contemporary church has. So you go to hear who this man is and what he has to say. Mm. You you look at this hill and you, you see some men who who are on this hill with him, some 12 men, and they're pulling up to him closely, his disciples. And so you move up closer to him yourself so that you can make sure that you hear every word. All right. And you hear these words from his mouth that hinge his whole sermon in verse 5, I mean in chapter 5, verse 20, when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, then by no means will you enter into the kingdom of heaven. You you look around and you begin to ponder what the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees look like. You begin to ponder how you know that the Pharisees and the scribes, that they have great memories for the word. They have learned all 613 laws and the scriptures by memory. And here you are scrounging and and fumbling over scripture trying to find where Judges is. And you're trying to find the scroll that... Ezra wrote it and you you can't hardly figure out what's going on there more or less in the Torah and here there are men who have all the laws by memory and here this one whom they're seeing is the Messiah says to you unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes by no means will you enter the kingdom of God So then you start to rub your head and wonder, if they can't get in, then who's going to get in? 
They know 613 laws and I'm good to know six. They know all of the Bible books in the Pentateuch and I'm having a hard time finding Leviticus. So now they are scrounging in there. They've got to be shocked by the words that they hear. But Jesus goes meticulously, verse by verse, precept upon precept, teaching them what it means to be a kingdom of God. What it means to be a servant, a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then we find ourselves today in the seventh chapter. We find ourselves in the last leg of the race. The finish line is in sight because the sermon is coming to an end. Jesus has now gone from teaching of the disciplines of citizenship to making a plea. He's making a plea to the people to stop criticizing and to start loving. To stop looking down your nose at somebody else and start lifting up the downtrodden. All right, all right. To start restoring one who has been overtaken in a fault. To start being mature and spiritual and restoring one in the spirit of meekness. And he starts to make the plea that now that you know what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, here's how you get in. We found out on the week before last that in order to get into the kingdom of God, you first got to ask. Amen. Because contrary to some popular beliefs, that men and women, boys and girls, cannot get into the kingdom by their own self-efforts. It doesn't matter how many charities you've given to, how many old ladies you've helped across the street, no matter how many good deeds you've done, the Bible says in Isaiah, our righteousness is as filthy rags. So after you get through doing all that you're doing, you're still going to end up short. But Jesus makes the plea to us to say, ask, ask me and keep on asking. He says, seek and keep on seeking. He says, knock and the door will be open. He says, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you. We found out in the context of this passage, this is not about asking God for new cars and fancy clothes and and, and new houses. This is about asking for entrance into the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I am the door. Nobody gets into the kingdom unless they come by him. And Jesus is making the plea to everyone now that they know that they got to have a righteousness that exceeds the scribe and the Pharisees. He's saying, ask me. Because I am righteousness. I am the totality of righteousness in me. If you want the righteousness of God, then you've got to ask me who gives liberally. But after he tells them these things, he goes on to tell them, and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
Because when you realize that your citizenship in the kingdom of God is not based on anything you can do yourself, amen, it's not based on whether or not you have a, a, a biological lineage of those who serve the Lord, but the only way into the kingdom is to ask Jesus and ask him only. Then you find that you have a, a heart of gratitude to where you start loving folks who are unlovable. Well. Because you realize that you yourself were unlovable when Jesus loved you. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Yes, Romans chapter 5 verse 8. We, we see that in this text, Jesus has set a standard that no man can meet. The epitome of righteousness by man's efforts were the scribes and the Pharisees. We don't need to put them down too much because according to man's standards, they were the best. But Jesus says, I don't work according to man's standards. I work according to God's standards. And they have been weighed and found wanting. So Jesus now says, enter by me. There is no other way than by me as the door. And so now Jesus begins to explain to the people that this is a very difficult way. All right. The text says in his plea, he now says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. I, I don't know about you this afternoon, saints, but that's a scary thought. Well. That narrow is the way and few find it. And, and that broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are going that way. The idea of the narrow gate here is the idea of a gate that we could picture as a turnstile. Well. This gate walks up and when you get into the turnstile that you can't be carrying a whole lot of stuff with you right. or you'll never make it through. All right. The turnstile is so tight that it only has room enough for you to squeeze through there. Yes, when you're walking through and your legs are getting caught, the turnstile is hitting you in the back and the front as you go through because it has been meant and designed to keep a lot of baggage out, okay. a lot of paraphernalia, a lot of peripheral things, but just the person to make it through. Mm. Into this world we come with nothing and out of this world so the same we shall leave. It doesn't matter how much we have accumulated, what kind of favor we have found among men, no matter how many jewelry boxes, no matter how many houses, cars, and land, naked we come in and naked we are going out. But that's good news for those who will not try to hold on to that which wasn't meant for them to hold on in the first place. Because you need to be light when you go through the turnstile. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate because you need to go without 
unforgiveness in your heart. Unforgiveness is baggage, and it's baggage that is heavy and hard to carry. And it won't make it through the turnstile. Enter by the narrow gate with humility because pride is baggage. When you think you're better than somebody else, that's baggage that will not make it through the turnstile. Enter by the narrow gate because backbiting and slandering and coveting other folks' stuff is too heavy and too wide in order to get through the turnstile. Sometimes we get caught up in what God has given somebody else and envy gets into our life and we want what they have and we will destroy our own nose despite our face in that greed-eyed monster called envy. But I tell you, envy is another piece of baggage that's too big to get through the turnstile. You must enter by the narrow gate. But verse 13 goes on to let us see that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. It's interesting that the way to hell is paved on a wide road. See, the way, to, the way to hell can allow you to go down the road thinking you something when you're nothing. The way to hell on that wide road can let you slander and backbite, can let you gossip and can let you click up and can let you divide and can let you go with unforgiveness, can let you go with lifestyles that do not please the Lord. Amen. The wide road will allow all that to go. Our world and our culture is on a spiraling downfall on the wide road. The wide road is a slippery slope. And it ends in the abyss. The wide road says, do it your own way. Don't worry about what God says. Take down the commandments. Shut up the church. Because we want a party, 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 like it's 1999. But God says, "Ah, after you've had your time a part of him, there's a payment to pay. But enter by the narrow gate. Because on that wide road is self-effort. On that wide road is, I'm a good person. I, I don't lie on nobody. I don't cheat. I, I, you know, I haven't stole anything from somebody. I mean, when I see other people, I try to do the right thing about them. Right. I mean, I give to uh, the Muscular Dystrophy Association, amen, the St. Jude's, the uh, Children's Mercy. I mean, I, I go every week and I go to the nursing homes to see about the elderly. Amen. I, I, I'm working with the kids and the community. Amen. I'm doing these things because I'm a good person. That's why wide is the road. Because by all intents and purposes in our culture, 
That's right. But that is not good enough for the righteous standard of God. Because that's man's righteousness. And no matter how good it gets, it never exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Right. They did all that stuff. Amen. But God condemned them. The wide road has, there are many ways to God. You can go whatever way you believe you can get to God. If I believe in Buddha or Confucius or the Dalai Lama or I have some other religion, all religions and all roads of religion go to God. God bless our sister Oprah in her religion, amen. Um, God bless her ideas, but their ideas are wrong. Um, she does a good job in the secular world and the things that she does, but religiously, from a Christian perspective, that is totally wrong. Wow. Because the words she say goes in opposition, amen, to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Ask, seek, and knock. Not for materialistic things, not for cars, and not for money, not for houses, not for land, but ask Jesus for interest into the kingdom of God because he is the only way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction because man says, I want in my way. I, I, I want it like Burger King. I want to have it my way. I, 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 want, to, I want to live the lifestyles the way I want to live them I want to cheat folks. I want to scandalize folks' names so that I can move up the corporate ladder. I, I want to be like Ken Lay and, and those other fellows that we talked about this morning in Sunday school who robbed the folks of their 401ks and robbed them of their pensions because they wanted to live the life of luxury. In the kingdom of God, you can't be like Burger King and you can't have it your way. Because on that broad road, all that stuff can go. And it can move fast. But none of this can get through the narrow gate. But unfortunately, so many people want to do it their own way. So the road is wide and it's broad. Isaiah said hell has enlarged herself because of the hardness of men's hearts. And you know what's so sad about this? is it's not limited to the folks who never come to the church building. It's also for those who have come to the church building and got membership on the roll, but never let the church inside of them. I think that bears repeating that they have come into the church, but they've never let the church inside of them. They've come into the building, they've gotten their name on the membership roll, but they never let the church himself, Jesus, inside of them. Well. 
Ask, seek, and knock. Don't try to do it your own way. When we look at the text, verse 14 says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way, which leads to what? Life. And there are few who find it. Our enemy, Satan, is masterful in the art of deception. There are many people who believe they are living the life right now. There are folks going to 24 hour and and curves and different places saying nothing wrong about working out, but they're working out to live forever. They're they're giving to uh, um, research so that they can find a way to live forever. And there are some folks who have fooled themselves in believing that they're going to live forever in spite of seeing their relatives and other people around them dying all the time. But I tell you that the serpent was more cunning than any other beast in the field. And he's cunning and deceptive and folks are being fooled daily into believing that death is life and life is death. There are folks who have sung songs talking about when we get to hell, that me and my boys, we're going to take our 40s and we're going to tap them together and drink it. I, I wish I could let them know uh, that is deception because there ain't going to be any 40s in hell. There ain't going to be no communion. There ain't going to be no talking and hugging. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible says it's outer darkness. Outer darkness represents a place of no communion. The folks that's going to be in hell are going to be in hell by all by themselves. There's going to be millions upon millions there, but yet you won't even know it because you're going to have your own personal torment. Broad is the way that ends in destruction. But we look at the text and we find that narrow is that gate and difficult is the way. Because man still wants to do it his own way. He wants to make his own rules and his own regulations. But the ultimate decision maker, Brother Williams, is God. Man wants to decide right and man wants to decide wrong. But there's only one right and only one wrong. And it's the right and wrong that God establishes. So difficult becomes that because people have a hard time of putting down their own self in order to put on Christ. But you don't be like that today. Let us not be like that to try to put on our own, but let us put on Christ. Because Colossians 3 and 4 says, Christ is our life. So when we go through this text and we find that narrow is the gate, we realize that this narrowness is the narrowness that's going by Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Remembering that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The Father gave his Son to this world. The Bible says the only begotten son, full of grace and truth. 
Now God, if it was any other way, uh, he wouldn't have had to give his son. But he gave his son and his son gave his life for you and for me. So that we didn't make our bed in hell, but we made our abode in heaven. That we were taken out of the darkness into the marvelous light. He who began a good thing in us shall finish it. The author and the finisher of our faith is the narrow gate. And his name is Jesus. Matthew, as he calls him the king of kings and the lord of lords, he is the narrow gate. And let me tell you the story about the narrow gates, how he came down through 40 and two generations, how the narrow gate walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, giving hearing to those who were deaf and speech to those who were dumb. The narrow gate. Let me tell you how the narrow gate loved us when we were yet unlovable. How the narrow gate raised Lazarus from the grave. How the narrow gate raised up Jairus' daughter and sent her on her way. How the narrow gate in the garden of the seminary was praying all night long for you and for me. The Bible says that his sweat beads were like drops of blood in anguish over what was to come. But he loved us so much that he said to the Father, not my will, but thy will be done. I want this cup to pass from me, but Master, if there's no other way, then I'm going to drink from this bitter cup. In that bitter cup was my sins and your sins, past, present, and future. But Jesus took a big gulp for you and for me. The Bible goes on to say that after he prayed and after a little while, amen, that old snake Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Jesus allowed himself to be put under arrest by the Roman guards to be led to kangaroo courts. How many of y'all know that Jesus had the power to call down a legion of angels if he wanted to? But he wanted to die. They didn't take his life. He gave it willingly. The Bible says that he went to six kangaroo courts. He started in the court of Annas and then to Caiaphas. From Caiaphas, to the Sanhedrin, from the Sanhedrin to Pilate, from Pilate to Herod, and back to Pilate again. Pilate, that coward, he saw that Jesus had no reason and no fault. But because of the fear of the Jews, he gave Jesus over. And he set it up that he wanted to wash his hands, but his hands could not be made clean. So the people whom Jesus had came for, who he had loved and he had healed their families and he had given sight to their families who were blind and those who couldn't hear and those who couldn't talk, now they said, give us Barabbas and crucify him. The Bible says they marched him down the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. 
the road of anguish till they got him outside of the walls of Jerusalem. They got him out there to a place called Golgotha's Hill, which is the hill of the skull. They put nails in his hands and they put nails in his feet. They hung him on that cross for you and for me. Jesus, being on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But Jesus would not come down from that cross just to save himself. But he decided, he decided just to die to save me. And I'm so glad that my Jesus stayed on that old rugged cross from the third to the ninth hour. And Jesus died in that ninth hour for the sins of the world. And the Bible says that they took him down off that old rugged cross. And they put him in a borrowed tomb. Somebody might say, why didn't Jesus get his own tomb? Well, I want to let you know that he wasn't going to be there very long. For the Bible says he was in that grave all night Friday. He was in that grave all day Saturday. He was in that grave all night Saturday night. But it was early, early Sunday morning. He got up with
by him through us. We must let Jesus be for us what we cannot be for ourselves. Amen? Amen. Amen. If all minds and hearts are clear, praise the Lord, let us stand for our benediction. Amen. And once again, hold on just a second, uh, Brother uh, Carchell. Once again, Sister, um, Sister Carter, don't forget to connect with him as well. And um, I don't know when, uh, Sister Christian, you, I know you're in and out with your job um, at some point to be able to try to connect up with him as well. All right? <laughs> All right, amen. Um, Brother Cockshell, we, uh, do you know uh, where he leads? Me, I will follow. Yeah, here, here we go. Where he leads.
Lord, we bless your name for all we have seen and heard on this day. Lord, help us to realize that we can't do this without you, O oh God. Lord, hide into our hearts the plea of Jesus. Lord, that we might go into a dark and dismal world and tell men, women, boys, and girls that you can't do it on your own. I don't care how many bottles you put down, how many suits you put on, it will never be enough without Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Help us to teach them to observe all things that you have commanded us, that they be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Lord, as we go from this place to our perspective homes, oh God, Lord, continue to keep your holy heads around us, Master. And Lord, as we prepare to give in this offering, our tithes and offerings, Master, Lord, we ask once again for your blessing. Lord, because if you don't bless it, Master, it will not be all it is to be. But Lord, don't forget to bless those who have responsibility over it as well, Master. That they may be able to count and they may be able to use it and maybe to make quality decisions, oh God, in your name. So Lord, bless this congregation as a whole. Keep your arms around us and protect us from all hurt, harm, and danger. These things we ask in the blessed name of Jesus and the whole church saying, Amen.